Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We are joined by an, a young man I'm excited to speak with, who I will introduce momentarily. But first, I wanted to give a shout out to our presenting chess education sponsors, Chessable.com. Hopefully, you guys are keeping up with the pod and heard my recent interview with Grandmaster Ben Feingold, who has a new course out on 1D4, on shoot. A uh, friend of the pod has a new course out in the Milnerberry Gambit against the French defense. And of course, they have a whole array of tactical, positional, end game courses, whatever aspect of your game you're working on. So be sure to check out what they have that's new, as well as the list of my favorites, which you can find the link for. Um, so to introduce our guest, again, I don't uh, tend to interview very many teenagers on this show. In fact, the last one I interviewed was uh, Hans Niemann before he really blew up. Um, but our guest is another New York City roots gentleman who I really wanted to speak with because I think he's doing meaningful work. He is do- running workshops to teach mindfulness practices to teenage chess players and young chess players at different some of the bigger school programs in New York. He's also a USCF master, uh, as we will be discussing. He has many other interests as well, as I'm sure we'll be getting into. But I'm primarily interested in discussing his organization, MindMates, which I've heard great things about in his own chess journey. So let's welcome National Master Nate Schumann to the show. Welcome, Nate. Thank you so much, Ben. I'm really excited. I really appreciate you giving me this platform to to speak about my journey and especially mind mates and what it's become and hopefully what it can be. So um, I'm happy to jump right in. I'm excited. Yeah, likewise. And Nate, as I mentioned to you, so I'm excited to discuss those things, but also I've been wanting to get the boots on the ground report of chess blowing up in high school. And we're going to get to that eventually as yeah. well. Um, although of course you go to the famous, uh, famous in chess circles, Dalton School, famous in New York circles as well, being uh, one of the elite private schools there in New York. But it's got a rich chess history with uh, Josh Waitskin from the movie Searching for Bobby Fischer mm-hmm. being alum. And more recently, I am Casa Corley of chess.com. Um, yeah. So um, so that brings me to my first question, Nate. Um, was it through Dalton that you were introduced to chess? Yeah, so Dalton has had a really rich chess history, like you've said. Um, I started chess in kindergarten, actually, through the chess curriculum at Dalton. So um, while you're in Little Dalton, um, which is kindergarten through third grade, you end up having chess as a mandatory class. So you create a real sense of chess community, especially at a really young age. Um, there's, I think there's 
tons of tons of benefits that come with playing chess at such a young age. I found an immediate love for chess. I learned it um, when I was there from David McAnulty, who retired a couple years ago, and Beatrice Marinello, who I believe you actually had on this podcast, um, has taken over and done an absolute, absolutely phenomenal job. But yeah, I learned it in the kindergarten. I was extremely, I was gravitated, I gravitated towards chess um, from the very beginning, the competitive nature of chess, um, and the fact that you can win or lose, and it's really, or draw, but um, that it was a 1v1 kind of sport, Um, and I got into kindergarten, and because of that, we had, like, I would say, like, 10 to 15 really good, decent chess players from a really young age, and since then, um, our grade has gone on to do tremendous things scholastically because of the roots that I think Dalton has provided us as basically adding it to our curriculum. So, yeah. Yeah. So you've got Dalton, we should say, of course, it's won many, many national championships over the years. And, uh, and I understand that uh FIDE master Gus Houston is in your class. Is that correct? Yeah. Gus is a very, very good friend of mine. Um, uh, me and him have kind of spearheaded the Dalton team. He's in my class. Um, and actually I believe as of this, as of the current moment, me and him, our grade has won, um, 15 national team tournaments, team, sorry, 15 national, um, championships as a team, which has kind of been unheard of. I believe that, um, we've won almost every single one since second grade. So we've kind of, it's kind of been a surreal experience for all of us. Um, but you know, I've had tremendous friendships from it and Gus being, um, one of the strongest ones I've had. Um, so yeah, he's a, he's a dear friend of mine and it's been a phenomenal journey with him. That's amazing. Yeah. And I'm guessing like, because you mentioned Beatrice Marinello and David McAnulty, who trained me as a teacher way back in the day. So if I of course know (laughs) these people, yeah, (laughs) I, I know these people well, but so I'm guessing you had a fairly structured environment, um, obviously starting with the school curriculum. But what would mm-hmm. you say is the sort of um, general principles of how chess is taught uh, taught in Dalton? I'm guessing it involves a lot of tournament play, being that you're in the uh, chess hotbed of New York City. Yeah, a lot of tournament play. I think because we live in New York City, we would have a lot of opportunities to play at. You know, these tournaments, like I remember vividly, like Hunter tournaments, PS41, a lot of these um novice sections then you slowly as you get older and stronger build your way up getting these small trophies and then bigger trophies as you get older but um yeah it was a lot of um i mean because we were starting kindergarten there's a lot of the basics there um but there would be a lot of live play i remember that we would always have something called early morning chess where the stronger kids would come in before the school day at like 7 a.m um and get to play with each other um, David would have a lecture too sometime using, um, his like special board where he kind of would like tuck the pieces in, um, out of the board I'm talking remember, about, yeah. but, um, yeah, it was a lot of live match play. Um, I wish I could remember it a little more clearly, but I'm sure it was a combination of, um, over the board chess and good instruction. Um, and yeah. how did you feel about waking up at 7am to do chess? <laughs> For me, I... I've always been a really morning person. I loved, loved, loved chess as a kid. Um, so I think because I was so young, I didn't really realize I was getting up that early or didn't really care about it. Now, as a teenager, you like sleep a lot more than I liked. As I didn't like sleep when I was younger. So um, I probably liked that idea. But um, it was a great opportunity. And I'm really, I wouldn't trade it for anything. 
Okay, makes sense. And so, yeah. Nate, you've got a very solid in- infrastructure, obviously, for learning chess, yeah. being that you've got the the teachers there. I know that the way it works, they'll they'll also be like uh, attending tournaments and doing game review there. Um, yeah. So I'm guessing there's not a huge amount of sort of um, self-motivation necessary, um, especially maybe in the earlier years. But did that become a part of your chess journey? Or like, have you been like cracking books and doing tactics on your own? Or has there been enough infrastructure in place where you've mainly been able to sort of learn through going through the Dalton sort of pipeline? Yeah, so no. To to reach, I think, the levels that I reached and Gus reached, um, I think there is a lot of more additional work. I think that Unfortunately, because we have like 120 kids per grade and there's only really one chess director at the program, being that, being that, being David, and now it's Beatrice, it's really hard to manage a lot of different kids. Um, So there's a really, really strong sense of chess presence um, from K to third grade. And then as you leave Little Dalton, there's less of that in middle school. And that's where you kind of expect the kids, the kids who really like chess to continue to chess to um, start to work outside of school um, and have their own chess coaches. I mean, I always had a separate chess coach, even since I was in kindergarten or first grade, just because of the levels I wanted to reach. Um, But um, and that'll get me to like what I've been doing um, in high school and Gus as well. Um, trying to maintain that sense of community and that level of chess strength beyond the Little Dalton program. But um, I've had to work extremely hard besides just the Dalton skeleton. But I think I do attribute a lot of my successes to the skeleton that Dalton's provided and the roots that um, it's given to so many kids like me. Okay. I didn't know that it got sort of less structured as uh, as the years go on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you mind saying who your coach is? Yeah, so when I was really when I was really young, um, my first chess coach was Corey Evans, um, who um, I think he got me to a strong level. I'd say like thirteen, fourteen hundred, and then um, I worked with a guy named Yevgeny Feldman um, till I would say I was about nine, and then ever since I was nine years old, I've actually worked with uh, Maxime Delugi who um is pretty well known in this in this chess sphere but he's been a i mean a massive massive help to me um he's like i seriously consider him a part of my family um and we've worked with him he's traveled internationally with me to a lot of the world youths um and um we've gone on it's just been a really special relation that we fostered but he's done a tremendous amount of great work for me and um I I I feel indebted to him greatly. Okay, great. And like, what sort of what sort of routine do you have with Max? Is it predominantly game review? Is he the Grandmaster Lugie? I should probably say. Is it <laughs> <laughs> since I don't know him personally? Um, is it primarily game review? Is he giving you puzzles, all of the above? Like, what what's your routine with him like? Um, it's a combo. I mean, I think a lot of it was. Um, Opening, there's a lot of opening prep that um, we spent a lot of time on t- teaching me new openings. Um, London being a big one. Um, obviously, I've had to, he, I, you know, I initially started to learn King's Indian with him. Um, and then I've, um, you know, started to learn some other openings as well. Um, I'm okay. It's okay. Airing <laughs> <laughs> it out. Um, but he's, it would be um, a lot of opening prep. We would play. Um, 
a lot of live chess against each other. He would give me some books. We, we did a lot of, we worked with um, a lot of Dvoretsky's book um, a lot because I know he knew him personally. Um, and he would give me, we would analyze a lot of high grandmaster games um, and really give me positions in the game, seeing if I can kind of figure it out. But we'd also have a lot of like cool, fun games as well. Like he, we would always play something called two move chess where um, you get two moves um, per one move. Um, and if you're in check, you can only move once. So there's a lot of like calculation there too, um, and seeing ahead, but we've, we've honestly touched on a lot of everything. Um, but, um, a lot of intuition work as well. Um, and giving me puzzles and just having me, um, kind of say the first thing that comes to mind and working and kind of like understanding pattern recognition in that sense as well. Okay. Um, So, yeah. Cool. And we should probably mention, I mean, a lot of listeners will know Max Delugi's name. Of course, he's been famous here in the U.S. for, you know, yeah. decades as a very accomplished player. But Magnus kind of blew up his spot with the yeah. whole Hans Niemann yeah. thing when he mentioned his name. So I, we don't, you and I, Nate, don't have to say too much about that. But I, I gather that was a rather, um, and Max, of course, defended, uh, Grandmaster Delugi defended himself publicly so listeners can look into that. But I'm guessing that was kind of a, a bit of a, tumultuous moment for for grandmaster Lugie. yeah for sure i mean he handled it really well he always seemed to me composed throughout everything um and i didn't want to talk about it to too much ex- too much extent with him um just because it was his personal situation but um you know i i stand by him um and i um, I appreciate everything he's done for me. So, yeah. Oh, okay, fair enough. And so, Nate, obviously, you've been a top scholastic player. Um, yeah. Again, recently made USCF master. But one thing we haven't mentioned is you had a massive plateau. Like, And this is mm-hmm. something that comes up on the podcast all the time, especially because, obviously, I'm an adult. It's predominantly adult <laughs> listeners. So yeah. we get stuck for years. And that's something that you've been through. Uh, so what did this teach you? Because correct me if I'm wrong. You were 2100 about six years ago, and I know you have other interests in your life as well, but then finally broke through in this past year. Is that correct? Yeah. So even longer, unfortunately, I was actually, I reached 2100 when I was nine years old, um, basically clinching All-American team like three years in advance. And I was at a really, really high level. Um, And it took me a really long time to crack this next level. I think I went through tremendous amounts of frustration. Um, I lost a lot of joy for the game. And that is where, you know, I'll segment, segment to that when I talk about um, my MindMates program. But um, that's where the roots of the program started. I um, I had a massive plateau. I felt like I was getting stronger. And even when I said this a year ago, before I hit my big breakthrough, I think me um, as a 2100 a year ago was much stronger than me as a 2100 seven years ago. My maturity dealing with situations, I think every part of my game is stronger. It was just that I didn't reach, I, I wasn't able to have this breakthrough. I would go up, 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 and then um, one tournament would knock me down. And I think a lot of a lot of that um, was extremely frustrating, um, and it was tough to deal with. And I continue to um, play play a lot of chess, but I think I attribute a lot of that also to um, the, I slowly played less and less chess as I've gotten older. Um I've just with so many different interests, it was hard to um, completely um, focus all my attention to chess. And I had to make a decision when I was younger if I wanted to like homeschool or spend like three to four hours a day on chess. But in addition to chess, um, I've been a big athlete my whole life. 
So um, it was hard to um, – I wasn't able to play tournaments every weekend. You know, it started to be tournaments once a month, and then it started to become like two or, you know, maybe five tournaments, then always play the Nationals. But regardless, I always made sure to um, play all the National tournaments and be there for my team. Um, and I think that's been so, so like powerful about my journey, the scholastic aspect to it. But, um, like you said, a lot of people go through plateaus and I think mine is a very big one, seven years and of still playing chess consistently throughout. Um, but that's, I think that's what made me finally getting it as an 11th grader playing, you know, the, you know, not as much chess as I've, as I've played, you know, almost in any other part of my life, but, um, finally getting that breakthrough, I think made that moment that much sweeter. Um, but I think it's a testament to resilience, um, and not getting to beat up on yourself throughout the whole process. Yeah. Well said. And I think a lot of people will be able to relate to that feeling that mm -hmm. they're getting better because you always feel like you're learning new things and especially you, mm -hmm. because you're young, so you're maturing, uh, you know, obviously to go from age nine to age 16, that's uh, monumental change um, mm -hmm. in, in how one sees the world and physically and so on socially. Um, so adults don't have to deal with that, but we still feel like we're learning in our ratings, just not reflecting it. So I'm, I'm curious, yeah. Nate, like when it sounds like you're spending less time on chess, but was there any sort of change that you would pinpoint or do you just maybe, maybe the pressure yeah. was off? What do you think happened? Yeah. I mean, this could segment, uh, I, so eight years ago, I can tell a story. So I retried 100 and I was always top three in the nation for my age. Um, and I would reach the final round of the national championships, but I'd never, I would always fall short. I think I would be going into the final round five and a half out of six, six out of six. Um, and all I needed was a draw or, or win in times to win the whole tournament. And I fell short, I would say on four to five different occasions. Um, and that broke me. And um, eight years ago, I decided to meet with a sports psychologist um, and um, figure out why um, this breakthrough isn't happening. Um, and for me, a lot of our work um, transcended from rather than focusing on the outcome, um, focusing on the process um, and um, kind of that's the most important thing and taking the um, finding joy in chess. And for me, I um, lost joy, honestly, completely. I wouldn't look forward to playing in a lot of tournaments. Um, and it, I would just wouldn't be a healthy environment for me. And I noticed that that stress would bleed over to other parts of my life as well. And I just decided to not focus on the result and focus on the process. And even now, especially over the past year, um, when I've had the least amount of pressure on me, I think that's where I've succeeded the most. And that's why I think this breakthrough is coming where I don't really, um, I don't really think or care about the result. Um, and I just tell myself before every tournament that no matter what happens, um, just try to play your best chess, but also just be happy um, and enjoy what you're doing. And I think that's the biggest message that I can, um, that I've told myself that I've told all the kids that I've worked with and that I can tell the listeners um, that I think that's what's propelled me forward. And um, that's where I think going back to the chess part of it, um, a lot of times I would take draws against high rate of 23, 2400 opponents when, um, when I have really good positions or I wouldn't fight for the win just because I would think of like the 
small rating change that, you know, like the five points I might go up by making a draw and just basically just focusing micro on every single game and just overanalyzing the rating. And this year I was like, I'm going to play um, aggressive chess. I'm not going to, I'm going to play, I'm not going to think about who's on the other side of me. I'm going to play my game of chess um, and took all the pressure off my shoulders. And this year I was honestly the greatest year of chess I've ever had between um, the two national championships making master. And then my team also winning us amateur team East. Um, so yeah, I think that's, a, that's, that's the big message that I can send. Well, it's good that you stuck with it. It sounds, sounds like it could have reached a breaking point. Did you ever consider yeah. quitting? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would have, con- I, I thought, you know, I, I quitting is, I would say quitting is a strong word. I would, I think I chess is so unique to who I am. Um, and it's been a massive part of my childhood and I never wanted to fully separate from it. But there were a lot of times where I would like avoid playing tournaments um, and just I played I, I did play a lot, a lot less chess, but um, I never thought of fully quitting just because of um, how much it's done for me, how many friendships I've built, you know, and how, how much I still love the game. I think for me, I didn't like the I like I was I didn't find joy in the idea of like going to a chess tournament and playing, but every single time, regardless when I would set it at the board and the game would start, um, all my nervousness would leave and I'd actually genuinely enjoy, um, being at the chess board. It was just all the buildup, um, and the thoughts going around, you know, your busy mind of, um, winning or losing rating. Um, and, um, but the actual sitting at the chess board, I always really enjoy yeah, that that's pretty relatable as well. Well, Nate, I feel like this has all been a great buildup to to the the MindMates origins. So we got to yeah. take a break and hear from our sponsors. But then I want to get into uh, talking about your organization. So uh, we'll be right back. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we are back. So, Nate, uh, so at what point did you uh, create MindMates amidst these years that you described of uh, some frustration? Yeah, so MindMates was something that I've had the idea of doing for, I'd say, the past three, four years. It's something that I really started last year and that I'm really implementing this year. Um, I would use all the tools, basically, that that are included in MindMates, which I'll go into. but. 
I would use them for myself. And I think it's done a tremendous amount of um, benefits for me because of, you know, I wasn't even playing as much chess as my competitors, but somehow I would always seem to perform at nationals. Um, and it's interesting because my rating didn't move from fourth grade to 10th grade. However, between between that time, I won four individual national championships, purely based, I think, on the work that I um, attribute to um, mind mates. So mind mates was something that I started to create um, programs for myself to use. And then um, I started to give it out to some teammates, um, not knowing the name mind mates, not really thinking of it um, in any type of way. Um, and then over the past three years, um, I had the idea of going um, to some schools to work with um, kids and share them, you know, something that so so important to me and something that i'm so passionate about and then this past year is when i've actually been able to go into the range of schools of um chess in the schools a massive massive um chess program in new york city which hits a lot of different kids from all over the city um impact coaching network icn um and their gift of chess i think they have tons of feeder schools um and then also is318 which you know, I would say there's Dolphin and then there's IS318 as like the two um, powerhouses of New York City chess. Um, and I remember watching Brooklyn Castle when I was younger um, and thinking, I also, I was thinking how like these kids are so old because I was so young, but um, <laughs> working with these kids and now they're like between sixth to eighth grade. So it's kind of crazy to think about, but um, working with them has been really special. So I've been able to hit ranges from second grade um, with um russ's kids russell makovsky from from um impact coaching network um to 12th grade um through the college bound program at chess in the schools so i think um this material has um intrigued kids from every demographic every age every chess level um and i've had a really great response i can i'm you know this summer i'm going to be going in and out in and out of chess camps and just continue to do what i'm passionate about and that's sending this message and sharing what um, I think is so valuable to other kids. So that's how my mates, that's how my mates started. Um, I have a lot of different um, ideas going in the future. I think what I've always told people when they're like, why didn't you start this earlier? Why are you only, you know, like um, I even said this, I wish I started it um, earlier because I, you know, I'm just graduated 11th grade actually yesterday. Um, and you know, I have 12th grade coming up and then I'm off to college. So, um, but what I say is I only think that I reach a level of maturity, um, this year to, um, do the things that I'm doing to go and pitch a presentation to like a board of a school and, um, the heads of an organization and to be flexible with the feedback, um, that they give me. And I think it was only this year that, um, I was able to handle all this and carry myself the way that. I feel like I've done, but at the same time, like you said, time-wise, um, it's something that would have been cool to have started a little earlier, but um, yeah. Okay. I got a few follow-ups, Nate, but first, just for listeners, I want to help them form a, a few connections that they may or may not have connected on their own. But uh, for listeners who heard my interview with uh, Tony Ballard, of course, who was a um, a, a prisoner in, in Kansas. Um, and you mentioned the gift of chess organization. Oh, so awesome, he's, yeah. he's affiliated with gift of chess, which is run, uh, created by Russell Makowski of the impact chess network. So just wanted to, 
uh, form that connection or help listeners remind listeners of that. And of course, Elizabeth Spiegel, who was who strongly recommended you for this pod. I don't, as I said, I don't interview a lot of teenagers, but her word carries a lot of weight with me. Um, and she, of yeah. course, has been on the podcast in addition to uh, starring, being an amazing teacher and starring in, uh, in I wanted, uh, yeah. Brooklyn Castle. I, I wanted to give a shout out to Elizabeth. I mean, she's been such a cornerstone for me and this MyMage program. She's, um, like even you said, reach, you know, had me, said, gave me a strong recommendation um, to you. Um, and she's been such a great person to bounce ideas off of, um, connect me to people um, and be really supportive. And same with Russ um and also the heads of chess in the school it's been a really amazing experience um and they've created such a great foundation for me to now build off of so yeah, right. there are a lot of connections i think with new york city chess you know there's a lot of um a lot of people know each other and there's a lot of crossing of paths so like you just alluded to but hopefully for sure. with the gift of chess um i was i was really wanting to go into the prisons this year but i definitely i talked to russ definitely i'm gonna try to um, go into the prisons next year, not just play chess, but also do some of this mind mates work with them. I think that'd be really powerful um, and a really unique experience for me to have. Well, that's great. And I want to follow up on that in a bit. But first, Nate, why don't we rewind a bit and just hear about mm -hmm. your own relationship with mindfulness? Like when was the first time you started to meditate and uh, how mm -hmm. did you react in the early days? So, I mean, as you can imagine, I, I started when I was um, eight or nine, um, and I met with my sports psychologist named Stephen Kahn, who I was who I was he works with a ton tons of top athletes, soccer players, especially um, NASCAR NASCAR drivers. He actually um, tragically passed away this past fall, which was a huge blow to my family. But a lot of this work is a tribute to him um, and. Um, you know, he was like a, he was like a, you know, an uncle to me. Um, but he's done so much for me and my family. Um, so my work with him would center around, um, I mean, I'll start with, I, I did not want to meet him. Um, at first I was pretty closed off, stubborn kid, um, when I was nine years old. And I don't think a lot of nine year olds like the idea of going to a psychologist. Um, but I was open to seeing him once and it was a sports psychologist. So um, the first time I started to work with him, he obviously, he tried to keep it fun, which I think is such a, such a big aspect to mindfulness in the work that I've done. Um, so he would have me play video games that are actually controlled based on your breath. So he'd hook me up. It's a lot of biofeedback work, which is a big part of my training, where he would hook me up to sensors in my ear, um, on my finger. And I'd play this like jet ski game where the jet ski would only move if I'm completely calm and my heart rate is completely settled I'm an, I'm a, and I'm having even um, breathing patterns. And I think it was a really um, fun experience for me, but also extremely frustrating because at times when the jet ski wouldn't move, um, the first initial, obvious, I'm, and I'm extremely competitive and I see all the jet skis just go past me is to get really angry. Um, but in those times of anger, you have to at you know, in the most important times, then you got to settle, take deep breaths. And that's how you actually end up winning. I think I mean, that story, I think can touch on a lot of different parts in life as well. Um, I think you can take that lesson um, in a lot of different ways. Um, but that was a memory that stuck out to me the most. And that's how I started getting to mindfulness. And I think like you said, going from nine years old to 16 year old, 16 year old is a massive, massive difference. Um, and I think 
a lot of maturity goes um, between those stages. But I think, I mean, scientifically, that's where your you know, you're, where your body and mind changes the most. And um, a lot of our work um, changed along with um, my maturity and the um, the levels of training and mindfulness training that I've reached. You know, the um, exercises would get harder. Um, doing like Wim Hof breathing. Um, um, doing you know, starting with like two minute meditations all the way going up to like 30, 45 minute meditations. Um, so my mindfulness journey has, um, you know, developed and grown as I've grown as a person and a competitor. Um, and I think that's, um, how you continue to perform at such a high level is the work that you're doing is, um, kind of being a companion to, um, you know, my chest performance. So, yeah. Well, first of all, the jet ski game sounds crazy. Like, I mean, yeah, I, I, I have it's some, exper- yeah, yeah, I have some experience with meditating and I, I mean, I, I can imagine like, because as you say, as a competitive person, your reaction is like, you know, you want to react with aggression, you know, if, exactly. if the goal is to win, you want to, to be forceful, but it, it, it requires the opposite of that. Um, and yeah. I'm curious, Nate, so it sounds like you you may have had some initial hesitance, but you were on board reasonably quickly. I have tried to teach mindfulness practices to my kids, and they're they're now uh, they were a little. This was a few years back. They're now ten and seven, but I can just tell you that when they were like seven and four, it it didn't take at all. So I'm curious done, when you go yeah. in to run these workshops. Obviously, I don't actually know the age you're primarily working with, and we'll have a question about that in a bit. But how do the kids typically um, respond to it? From what I've experienced, every single time I've done this, I've actually been taken aback by their maturity. And I told them that I wasn't that matured and that focused when I when I started this. And I think a big reason that is because I'm also, uh, I would say a kid, but I'm a teenager and I'm closer to their age. And I think they, uh, I think they connect to me more um, and respond to me more because um, I kind of seem, you know, like more realistic, like rather than like a um, PhD um, psychologist who um, is like 40, 50 years old. And there's this real like, um, I don't know, like patronizing aspect then. But I really try to foster a sense of community with these kids. But like you said, I mean, if I'm, you know, meeting with 20 to 30 kids, there will be a couple of them that are dozing off, you know, like poking fun at the kid next to them who, um, so, you know, the kid next to them might be actually trying to focus and then the uh, his friend is, you know, poking him, you know, whispering in his ear. But I always try to, you know, not get bothered by that and just, you know, guide them along as best I can. A big part of the reason that um, I I think they stay focused because these exercises that I give them are really short. Um, and that's why I think that's why I think it's super, super impactful because anyone can take this exercise that's only one to two minutes. All the exercises that I give them and a lot of the ones that I share with mind mates are one to two minutes long. And I think that's where, you know, when you, with these kids at the younger ages, if you go any longer than that, I've done some three minutes, um, one five minute, but any, anything longer than that, that's when, you know, they're like, <laughs> they're like opening their eyes a little bit or like, um, you know, picking their head up looking. Um, and, but I try to tell them just, um, just stay as focused as they can be. But um, they were definitely definitely handled it a lot better than I did when I was their age to start. So kudos to them. Yeah, um, yeah. 
And and as I mentioned, I do have a question from a Patreon supporter of the podcast. So the way it yeah. works me is people who help support Perpetual Chess can send in questions. And you mentioned some people with PhDs, uh, Dr. Benjamin Porto, who I interviewed on the How to Chess podcast. He's been on uh, Chess Dojo Talks, and he's the uh, coach of the or not the coach, not the chess coach, but the performance coach of the England's women's Olympiad team. Um, and he oh, recently wow. re- released a course called Mindfulness for the Tournament Player, which I've had a chance to check out and would recommend for any listeners interested in trying out uh, similar mindfulness-based techniques. But um, in any event, Ben's question is, he says, congrats on the great work. And he'd like to ask what the age of the youngest kids that you work with and do you have to adapt techniques or vocabulary to use with these kids? Yeah, I definitely think I do. Um, you know, I don't, the youngest ages I would say are like, um, I would say right now, like fifth graders, but I know that, um, this summer I'll be working with second to some groups will be second to like seventh grade. So that'll definitely be a unique challenge. But um, I have altered a lot of my vocabulary so to simplify it down for them. Yeah. Sorry, we're just going to translate for an international audience. So that's like age eight to second yeah. grade. Yeah. So. Yeah, I would say like age. Um, yeah, I would say ages eight to um, eight. I mean, some kids were 18. Um, but, okay. Um, yeah, I would alter a lot of my vocabulary to kind of break it down and simplify it to their terms. I mean, I've had to dilute a lot of the exercises down as well um, to, um, you know, simplify it and still make it effective, um, but try to make it more easily, you know, graspable for them. But, um, you know, I talk, you know, I don't talk about like any, I don't talk about any like the science behind it, like any neurological things that are going on, like the brain waves that are um happening which um i'd like to say like um aside from all this like actual work that i'm doing face to face i've taken a real like um academic interest in it as well doing a couple of summer programs on it um a couple of research papers um to really fully like understand the science behind why what i'm doing works and you know really um being aware of the material that i'm you know giving to the kids and hopefully giving to you guys as well um, but, um, yeah, the, I've had to change the way I, um, talk about some things to make it, um, more understandable and absorbable for the kids. Makes sense. Yeah. And let me ask you this, Nate, like when I started meditating, um, and I think this is a fairly common experience often when you first start doing it, it kind of feels like nothing's happening. You're just sitting there and your mind is racing and you're wondering like, why am I doing this? And for me, it was definitely weeks of doing it every day where I just felt like, you know, why, why, why am I spending my time this way? And I think a lot of people try meditating and end up giving up because of that. So I worry that if you're presenting it to kids and just doing short little exercises that they might just be like, well, that didn't do anything and then move on. Do you, do you ever have that experience? Yeah. I mean, that's where I'm obviously trying to build this asynchronous aspect as well, which is a big part of my summer plan, building a website, um, which is soon to come and hopefully an app. But um, with these kids, um, I, that's why the first exercise that I always teach them is called palming, where I'm basically... I learned it from uh, my a tennis coach of mine that I worked with when I was younger and I still occasionally work with him called Peter Rennert, who actually um, played number one 
singles at Stanford, ended up winning the national championship, and ended up becoming doubles partners with John McEnroe, who wow. was very well known for both them for smacking their rackets, having a really hot, you know, high tempered um, uh, personality. And my, you know, my coach Peter Renner took after he stopped playing a very zen, you know, a, he took a whole new approach to performance. Um, and he completely altered his life from basically, um, taking the, uh, he, he talks a lot about just like effortlessness, um, and, but not in a bad way. Um, but, um, so I learned this, this exercise from him palming and it's basically where you close your eyes, um, and then you put your palms in your eyes, like you place your palms like this and you apply a little pressure. And when I do this with these kids, it takes one minute. When, when every time you finish doing it, um, everything is immediately like really bright and fuzzy. Um, and you can notice that there's a very noticeable difference that happens. So I think that's where I kind of hope the kids kind of like, oh my God, there's something actually happened. And I'm not just like sitting here breathing. Um, but that's something where um, then again, then I do another breathing exercise and they feel the same way. A lot, a lot of ways for me, um, a lot of kids feel tired after they do these exercises, which I feel the same way too. And they, even though some of them are supposed to keep you awake and some of them are um, supposed to make you just listen to your body more. And if your body's tired and your mind's tired, you're going to feel tired. And I think that's a big part of mindfulness is being, you know, fully aware of your body and your surroundings um, completely non-judgmentally. And like what my sports psychologist would always tell me is that if you're tired, or if you're hungry, um, or if you're thirsty, accept that, and you owe it to your body and mind to you know treat it that way. So take a quick power nap, or do one of these exercises, and that's basically what I'm trying to provide with these kids: these one to two minute exercises that you know palming I do before a chess game, during a chess game, after a chess game, um, to reset um, and recover. And I think that's a big part of my program as well: teaching the kids how to recover before matches. Um, and for me, um, a little segue, but, um, at nationals, I attribute a lot of my successes to the routine that I've established. I don't input any of my games in between matches right after the match. I'll go back to my room, replenish, take a power nap, do an exercise Then I'm going to shower because that's my way of locking in. I, you know, I'm taking like seven, you know, like three showers a day, but not cause I'm, you know, not cause I'm dirty, but because that's my way of, um, being fully locked in. And then what I do is I always throw a football with my dad before every round listening to music. And a lot of the kids, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm combining my love for sports um, with chess and really what's getting me into like the complete zone, what I always call like the state of flow. And that's a term that I always use. And um, that's really helped me. Um, but I tell the kids to, that's what I do, but do what's best for you. Um, and um, I, I, I tell a story where, um, when I was younger, I would want to play a video game during the chess tournaments. Um, and my parents, reasonably so, were like, no, that's like bad idea. Like, don't play video games while you're in chess tournaments. My sports psychologist was like, no, no, no. If, if you want to play, if, chess, if playing video games will get you in the zone and fully relaxed and bring you to your happy place, do that. Um, so I think that's that alludes to the fact to just do whatever is effective for you. Um, and, but make sure you do something that will help you recover. And I think that's with a lot of these mindfulness exercises, not everybody's going to resonate with the same exercise. Um, and, um, 
every time actually there's always a mix at the end of every session i ask like raise your hand if um if this was your favorite or if this was your favorite um and there's always a mixed group um so that's why with this asynchronous aspect i'm trying to i want to provide as many tools as i can and then the user can kind of hand pick you know the two or three that they love the most that they resonate the most with and then continue to practice that like you said it's easy to kind of um give up and kind of stop doing it and lose focus um so trying to make it really um like a small toolbox that they could use um so it's not too overwhelming excellent yeah i i'm not familiar with the palming exercise even with some some experience in this field and um elizabeth no, new, yeah Elizabeth Spiegel mentioned that in addition to palming, the one that she th- said she thought was really helpful for her students at IS-318 was uh, box breathing. Are you able to explain that one on what's yeah, predominantly yeah. audio only? Yeah. So box breathing, I think you can get a good idea of it. Um, I also my uh, I also call it samurai breathing. That's a more extensive version. That's what I mean, going to the point of like simplifying the terms um, and simplifying the exercises. Basically, box breathing is... Um, a breathing exercise where you're breathing um, on four different counts. So you breathe in for four seconds, then you're going to hold your breath for four seconds, then you're going to breathe out for four seconds, and then you're going to hold your breath for four seconds. Um, so basically creating this box-like um, motion. However, what's unique about this exercise is while you're breathing, you're going to close your eyes and try to draw the box while you're breathing along. So what I do if, you know, the whoever's listening right now, take a second, um, you know, I, I'll clo- I close my eyes. And for me, I always start in the bottom left corner of a box, like at a point. Um, and I'm going to breathe for four counts, drawing up vertically. And then I'm going to hold my, and then I'm going to hold my breath for four seconds. But while I'm holding my breath, I'm going to draw a horizontal line across. And then while I'm breathing out, I'm going to come down with a vertical line. And then for another four counts, I'm going to connect the box and come horizontally. So while you're breathing, you're also visualizing it. So you're triggering a lot of different parts of the brain um, that are actually, um, you know, sometimes helpful for chess um, and chess calculation. But it's a way to fully center down, deep breathe um, how you would in traditional meditation, you know, breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth with pursed lips is what I always tell the kids to do. Um, And to use that exercise as a way of... um, resetting that's that's not an exercise that i do over the board or that i do you know between tennis matches i always do palming but box breathing is something that i would do between matches that's a little longer um i mean that's something that you can do for as much time as you want for the kids i do it for i did it for two minutes with elizabeth's kids we're a little younger the first time i did it with them were two minutes then next time i did it with them were three minutes so as you can see i'm just trying to slowly build build it up for the kids um and when i meet with them this summer we'll do it for five minutes um and to really cultivate um and sharpen their tools of meditation because i mean being um an effective meditator is something that i think is a trained skill and something that you get better at just like anything else the more you do um so i'm trying to slowly ramp the kids into a way that they would um not be overwhelmed but also reach you know really impressive levels as well Excellent. All right, Wendy, I'm going to ask you about one or two more techniques, but first we need to take one more break and we will be right back. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE or Summit 4xE. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. And we are back. And Nate, I have one more question from something that Elizabeth mentioned, which is affirmations. So what would be an example of like an affirmation you might teach? So I'm glad you asked that. Um, I wanted to tell this to the user, and this is an affirmation that um, I tell myself, I would say like 100 times a day. Um, and it's something that I tell myself during chess matches. And I think that's something that everyone can really benefit from. There's affirmations that work for everybody. What I say is, um, no matter what happens, I love and approve of myself completely. Um, and that's something that I repeat in my head before it tests i'll say it out loud um but honestly before this interview i said it to myself i would say like 10 times um and it's something that would it completely um wipes out all the stress that's going on for me in the long scheme of things um most important thing to do is love and approve of yourself um completely non-judgmentally and um and to love yourself and i think in the you know looking back at it you know you kind of think like get really caught up in one specific chess game, but you look back like like everyone who's listening right now that's played a chess game might get really upset after a game, really deflated, but looking back, it's not gonna like kill you. It's not gonna change your life. Um so just no matter what no matter what happens, the most important thing that you can do is to love yourself and that's why this message has done so much for me and I always tell it to the kids. But there's other messages that, you know, if people love this message, start to use it, but um, if there's something else that um, you guys tell yourself, that's awesome. I always, I always do like the three C's as well, like calm, confident, and composed. Um, that's something I tell myself less often, but that's something that I um, reiterated to the students that I've worked with, um, and something that I think's a really important motto as well. That's great. Well, Nate, I mean, I'm super impressed. I the the whole thing, um, I think, is a fantastic Thank idea, um, both for. I mean, for chess players, but for teenagers in general. So your plans are build out the website, get things asynchronous so that people can do it without your being there. Uh, what else is in the uh, MindMates vision? Yeah. So a big part of it, which I'm glad I was, I kind of want a little shout out for it um, just going forward. But um, I'm actually in the process of making a MindMates notation book. So you guys can be on the lookout. Basically, What's unique about this MindMates notation book is before and after every match, I'll have a normal traditional notation sheet. And in the very front of the book, there'll be um, some exercises, palming and box breathing being there as well. So kids can refer to that um, in addition to the website and whatever asynchronous aspect I can use. But there's going to be a pre-match and post-match reflection sheet before and after each match. It's only going to take, I made it short, like 30 to 45 seconds. Um, But Truly, and the questions that I ask are not chess related. They're related to um, being fully locked in. What I say is, um, you know, like 
am I proud of myself? How am I feeling mentally? Um, am I ready to go into this chess game? Um, um, like, and I always ask them to set a goal for themselves besides that's not chess related going to that chess game, whether it's going to be, um, to smile as much as they can, um, to breathe more, uh, maybe use palming like once or twice during the, during the game. But I think that this is such a powerful tool that, because I mean, I think there's a lot of different, like journals on the side that a lot of people keep but not something that's all together where basically you keep yourself responsible for it that you know you finish a game you go on to the post-match reflection sheet you you know reflecting what i always like reflecting is super super important because it creates meaning out of any lived experience you've had um and in this case it'll be a chess game um but um, and then you're going to take a break. And then obviously before the match, you're going to try to go and I'm just basically trying to have the person, the user go into the match fully there and going back to the roots of my program, bolstering their peak performance. Um, and that's what this aims to do. And I really, you know, wish I had this tool when I was younger because I wish I could go back to my nine year old self and see what I was thinking, you know, with my little sloppy handwriting. Um, <laughs> and, um, seeing I lost, let's say against, you know, I'm sure, you know, you guys know Max Lou, um, a really high level. And, you know, I lost him a couple times in the very last round and to just feel my, um, that for the national championship and just to feel my emotions and to just see how Nate as a nine year old was feeling before the match, maybe what caused, um, the, um, what, what, what caused the loss? Um, and then how I really felt after the match. And I think what's unique about this is, and what's important is to be fully transparent with yourself. If you're feeling tired, I want you to, you know, to write down that you're feeling tired, um, before the match. Um, and after the match, being really transparent on your emotions. And I think that it's a really special tool that, um, a lot of kids could really benefit from. Um, and hopefully if parents are listening to this, um, thinking that their kid could, use this as well um hopefully that um this is something that could also be pretty special so i have this that aspect coming out um um in talks with um, a publisher hopefully i'm targeting by the end of year i really hope i can get it by december nationals um but i've never done this before so i could run into some issues but um between that and the website and then hopefully down the line an app um as you can kind of see, the the viewers on YouTube, I'm wearing a Mind Made shirt right now, um, creating on the website, maybe some some merch as well, um, and um, continuing regardless, you know, doing all this asynchronous aspect, but to still um, go in and out of schools, um, but to make it so hopefully I can be doing Mind Mates for, you know, a lot more years than just the end of high school. And, you know, when I go to college and I won't hope, you know, maybe I won't be in New York City, there is this aspect where... Um, everyone can really access the material online between the website or an app. And then hopefully at the same time, have this notation book, um, sitting beside them, ready to go for a tournament. So excellent. Good stuff, Nate. Well, listen, I mean, we do have a decent number of chess educators who listen. So if there's anyone who's interested in potentially pursuing it or just keeping up with, with, uh, with the program as it continues to develop, uh, what should those people do? I mean, I'm in such an early stage right now. Um, I will tell you um, right now um, to email me um, at natemaster at iCloud.com. It would be N-A-T-E-M-A-S-T-E-R at iCloud.com. 
Um, but also um, to everyone, any user who still wants to be engaged, want to follow my Instagram, um, MindMates Chess. Um, so MindMates, M-I-N-D-M-A-T-E-S, and then Chess. Um, yeah, I hope you guys know as well Chess. Um, but um, no, this. if anyone wants to reach out, I'm seriously in such beginning stages of this process that I'm so passionate about and I'd love to do um, and be in contact with anyone that they want to speak to me more um, and interested in having me in their schools or um, wanting to help me on this journey. Um, I'm a completely open book. Um, so um, I'm really, really appreciate the platform of being able to speak to you guys um, and getting mind mates, something that means so, so much to me. And that's resonated with so many kids already um, more widespread. Okay, excellent. Yeah, and I, as you know, part of the reason I wanted to have you on is I do think chess is it's just such a, a mental game. You know, it's it, it can mess with your head mm-hmm. so much that I do think Big that time. it's it's you know, as with many things, maybe maybe not everyone will decide that mindfulness practices are for them, but I certainly think that for all chess players, it's at least worth exploring. Yeah, worth exploring. You know, one to you know, very small amounts of your time, but. Um, you know, it's for your to help your performance and to help you gain this competitive edge over your opponent that, you know, the people that aren't listening to this podcast uh-huh. um, won't have any, you know, any access to this material or knowledge of it. And same with it, I tell the kids that I work with that, um, you know, not a lot of students, not a lot of middle schoolers are getting exposed to mindfulness, um, especially mindfulness as a tool to help performance. So um, that's why I'm targeting teenagers because, it helped me so much and it was so unique to my story um, and gave me this competitive edge over my adversaries. Um, and it's something that hopefully that a lot of other people can take away from that as well. Nice. Maybe I'll try that one on my kids. I'll be like, listen, this try is it. top secret. You know, no, no one else no one else is getting to try No, <laughs> I like that. I like that. I, I tell them it's like the palming thing. You know, it does mind tricks on your opponent. Like if the opponent thinks they're crying, you know, maybe you're like all upset. But in reality, you know, you're, you're helping yourself so there's a lot of mind tricks that go along as well however you want to phrase it um to whoever you want to you know send this to or you know tell about this whatever you can do um it's amazing so thank you excellent well great to chat nate yeah and can't wait to see how the program develops so i uh, think thanks for thank coming you. on uh, the pod of course thank you ask Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.